Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuning in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual, and we got a great little show for you today. Going to be hopping all around the musical landscape, kicking things off the new album from The Dead Tongues. Uh, their new album, Transmigration Blues, is out. If you like folk, if you like country, if you like a little rock and roll, this one is going to be for you. Uh, next up, we got Ego Ella May, some neo soul from London. Uh, her fantastic new album, Honey for Wounds. We're going to be talking about that and then finishing off with a little jazz because we love the jazz here. Emmanuel Wilkins, his debut album on Blue Note Records called is called Omega. It is out Friday. It's fantastic and it's gonna it's gonna make you learn a little thing or two about our history and um it's a remarkable piece of work so figure this is a thing we better talk about so if that's what you're up for this fine wednesday or whenever you're listening to pod i'd say it's time to head off to the virtual basement let's go here's a brand new episode of discologist coming at you right now okay it's here and it finishes here two men enter one man was merely a two-word review of just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next That right there, he is a Who the actual fuck is like you wake up in the morning and that sounds like a thing you forget. And I'm not about like diagnosing people of shit, but that goggles really sounds like a thing that you just fucking forgot. I, I will say I don't spend a lot of time thinking about goggles, but that doesn't mean that I don't remember that they exist. You know, I have heard about them, even though they're not a like, you know, frequent <laughs> right, if, topic of like, introspection for me. If somebody showed you two drawings, one of an elephant, say. <laughs> and and one of goggles would you know what both of them are and what was this first thing you l l of l l e yeah okay <laughs> well at this at this rate wes i'm not sure you're qualified to like walk down a ramp or drink water with one hand i mean these are these no, are but the i tests. can be president right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is you know it's not, just him. it's not just him the world is upside down and you know taylor swift made an indie album which we're not reviewing but really guys <laughs> come on this is this is the this is the press about it is the bane of my existence that we can't fucking just I call picked, something what it is. You picked the wrong week to stop drinking. Is the, uh... <laughs> yeah, I really did. I really did. This is normally this would be a uh, lemonade and gin. Now it's just a lemonade and and uh, but yeah, it's just like well, it, this is what we're doing in music. Uh, it's kind of no wonder that music is in the shitter, despite like the live stuff, right? Just, just on how we talk about music, like that can't be where we're at, or is it? it it's not, like, it feels oh, like it's not a shining to... moment. No, no, no. It feels like not no. a shining moment for music journalism, and 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 I also think yeah, you yeah. know we 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 g chatted our way through some of these arguments. I think the 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 some yeah. of the criticism of the narrative around Taylor's album to me is like just as egregious as the media in praise of it so yeah i'm sort of like i'm i'm yeah i'm flummoxed yeah 
yeah, it, it's 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 a lot to take in. I actually started reading this book that I think Wes you're reading, mm-hmm. uh, the Subversive History of Music by Ted uh, Gioia. Oh, and, I gotta read that. Oh my God, you have to read that. And it actually yeah, he's pertains awesome. to this. Yeah, it pertains really to this. It pertains to what we have done with this show and what we want to do more going forward. But basically, I think it was a conversation you and I had, Wes, at the beginning of this year, where we're like not necessarily interested in criticizing music as much as like what does it mean? Yeah. You know, that's why we were a little harder on the Laurie McKenna. Uh, that's why we uh, we go off on a lot of tangents. Because it's not just like you made this thing. Taylor told the story. That's not just it. You know, it is about like what it what it actually means and, and what it represents. And the book is fascinating. It's all based in uh, two poles of sex and magic. Uh, does a pretty good job of, of really re-explaining – uh, the misogynistic music culture of today. Um, nothing, nothing has changed. Everything is universal. But uh, Eduardo, I would highly recommend you read it, um, and I, everybody should read it. Um, but that uh, is sort of a lead into. We got a. This isn't a weird show. This is just normal. But it's music we've been listening to. Uh, I want to kick things off talking about an artist that I actually have been following for quite a while. I think Eduardo, you may have been too. Uh, Mr. Ryan Gustafson, otherwise known as the Dead Tongues. I first saw him uh, in Phil Cook's band, the Guitar Heels. Uh, he then was in uh, the Guitar Heels are his Golden Messengers band, so he was in that for a good long time. Then he started making his own music around, uh, let's see, the first time I saw him was like 2015. So 2016 was his second album. It was called Montana. Uh, he had an album before that called Desert. 2018, Unsung Passage comes out. Uh, it's a remarkable album. Now he is back with Transmigration Blues. Uh, this is a guy he, um, in my opinion, doesn't as much move the form forward as he sort of polishes up the version of it and, and shows that he's really good at, <laughs> at doing this thing that he does. Uh, and now he's made an album uh, where a lot of these songs and a lot of this folk country idiom are about like personal loss and everything. This is more looking at the world around him and saying everything is crumbling down and what that means. Not not necessarily like calling out the politics of it and and the injustices, but seeing how those injustices affect uh, the people around him, the people in the community. We're gonna play a song from this now, and um, I, you know I mentioned he's good at, at perfecting the form, but uh, you know. The Rolling Stones made a good song a long time ago, and Ryan knows that song, and, and, he, and he, he does updates it in a just a wild way. This is Peaceful Ambassador off of the Dead Tongues Transmigration Blues. I've been a peaceful ambassador Wandered around Shop 
So if you guess uh, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones, you would be correct. I have no issue with that because that is a damn fine song. This is a damn fine song. It is. Uh, it, it encapsulates the whole album. I think it says, you know, the very first line of the album is, I've been a peaceful ambassador, made my home in the wind. Um, and he finishes that couplet sort of at the end by saying kind of the same thing, but says, made my home in the wind, cross that great wide open solitude to end where I begin. Um, and and it's sort of saying that like this is going to be a journey, but it it doesn't it, it gives you hope in a lot of the things that he's talking about that aren't necessarily uh, hopeful. And uh, it, it is to my mind his probably his most polished work. And I'm going to put to you guys, this is all type of music we love, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about Tallest Man less. But um, <laughs> but but. Uh, but yeah. How is it that somebody doing this in in 2020 isn't a lot bigger than the dead tongues actually are? Well, is is part of the challenge is like his golden messenger kind of in his way? Um, I wonder that. I, by which I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you can hear you can hear the resemblance. Um, you know, it's it's it mm-hmm. clearly makes sense that that this is like you know the terroir uh, of the music. Um, and I think, you know, listening to this, it's it's a really, um, I think the way you described it, Kevin, is really apt. To me, it's a really um, comfortable listen. And I mean that not in a, like, I haven't worn pants with a waist in three months <laughs> kind of way. I don't mean in the, the golden yeah. era of athleisure wear. Uh, I mean, um, I really mean, like, you just put it on and you're, it's it's, like, immediately kind of soothing and... It's comfortable in all the right ways. You hear the Stones, you hear Dylan, you hear you hear some Dave Rawlings, uh, you know, by way of Dylan uh, in there too. There's, it's just a very, it's just like, it's just a very nice thing to have on. Yeah, yeah, which is something we don't get often. Like things, when you talk about what a thing means, like sometimes a thing is just meant to bring this uh, level of, of pleasure. Yeah. It's very nice. It like evens things out. And how do we value that? That I think that's the actual question. It's like, you know, when uh, a lot of stuff we've talked about and people just talk about in general is when you, when you review of an album and you look at does it move anything forward? Does it like – is it cutting edge? Is it the newest thing? And the reality is is that all these types of music existed uh, for, for a real reason and you don't need to move it forward. And, and I think we have fewer people actually able to, to even do this. You know, he got uh, Mountain Man uh, is in there, which is uh, Amelia Meath, uh, Molly Starrell, Alexander Sazer Moaning, his daughter of Swords. Um, you know, this is part of that North Carolina collective doing stuff and all working together because they clearly have a love of this music. This is this is part of the tree that Phil Cook talks about. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and to tee you up, Wes, like, you know, he avoids all these pitfalls again that Taliesin and 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 so why do you think that is or 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 am I just wrong about that? I well, you are wrong about Tallest Man on Earth. We just, you know, we we did a whole episode about that, so I don't know how much I want to. I need to go back into that. Um, right. But the one thing that I will say with that, the, the the way in which I am serious that you are wrong about Tallest Man of Earth on Earth, and that's not to say that 
you know, th- that I can't like him while you don't, obviously. Like, we don't sure. really share any taste in music, so it just makes sense. Um, <laughs> Man, Wes is spitting fire today. This is great. <laughs> he teed me up. He directly even said he was teeing I, me I, up. Yep, what do you want, you know? This is, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to sleep in a minute, but, but anyway. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, Tallest Man is not known for singing sad songs to the people who actually listen to his music. And I think that's part of what what bothers you with him is that you think of him as this person who sings sad songs, which admittedly the album that we talked about is a little bit more on the sad song side than um, than most of his previous stuff. But that's not at all what I think about him um, with. Um, I mean, part of what I'm wondering, going back to this conversation about, you know, why is Dead Tongues not bigger? Um, and especially given that he is tapping into some of those elements like Dylan or like Dave Rawlings, um, but doing it really, really well. It does not at all. I will say the the first time that I listened through this album, I felt like it was a little bit too close to some Dylan stuff. Um, but I definitely did not feel that as I continued to listen to it a few more times. Um, and I don't know if that's just something about his pronunciation. Like there was just something in there that was kind of, you know, a little, a little close for me at first, but, um, but he definitely earned, um, you know, earned being listened to beyond that. Um, for me, but well, what, I guess one of my questions is just what's the last thing that really pushed guitar music forward? And are we just at a time where it, because as far as I know, I mean, and, and admittedly, like I say this as a guitar player, but I don't listen to a ton of guitar music. Um, and has there been anything that really, I mean, I think about when OK Computer came out, um, like that to me was just like, wow, okay, this is the next step in guitar music. Um, and I can't really think of anything that's come out in the last little while that has really done that. And so is that one of the reasons that we have people who are, I'm going to say retreading territory, but I don't mean that in a critical way, like, you know, um, going back over and just doing sounds really, really well. Is it because there hasn't been anything that's really taken that next big leap in guitar music? I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I was going to go with the last big leap was uh, Steve Vai in like 1990, but <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I you know I I don't know I I, I uh, like my gut says that it is it is sort of there's only an actual certain finite number of songs in quotes, and so when you talk about people are like oh it sounds too much like Dylan. Well, Dylan's good. <laughs> yeah, that's not right? a, that's not a bad Dylan's thing to have said about you, generally. You know, and and if you and if you can sound like if people are saying you sound like Dylan, uh, then you can uh, take that as a very high compliment. Because literally, not everybody can do that. You can play a Dylan song, but you can't get what imbues that. I think we had that conversation with uh, Miles Mosley. Mm-hmm. You know, people and calling him, and this is a little different, but calling him like the Jimi Hendrix of the bass. And he's like, oh, how do you live with that? He's like, well, Jimi Hendrix ruled. So, yeah. <laughs> so you ruled. So I guess I, so I guess I'm good with that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I, I think uh, personally trying to creating trying to always come up with something that is brand new, uh, not just to me but to the world is is exhausting. Um, and and in more successful. And, and this is in any type of creation, um, whether it be music, whether it be writing, anything. Uh, when I just stick to what I know and execute strongly on that, and I think just the way we're set up in society, man, it's just we don't we don't ever remember that. You know, I don't. This isn't quite a complete thought yet. But when I was listening to this record, and I was actually thinking about 
actual uh, Dylan, who uh, does not sound that much like Bob Dylan, um, uh, even though I enjoy his sort of late career, uh, his late period work, um, this is a better Bob Dylan album probably than than Bob Dylan put out this year. Um, and and I think probably was more thoughtful and and uh, uh, benefited from more like attention than 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 what Dylan puts out because Dylan is is um, comfortable in a bad way. Um, but I was sort of thinking about like what it means to. Um, I was contrasting that with with the fact that when you start listening to Dylan, your your progression more or less mirrors his life, right? Like you usually start with the earlier stuff, and then you get into the rock stuff. And a lot of people park there for a good decade, and it's not until you sort of have like a weird night in your 30s that you're like, you know what I need to do? I need to check out 80s Dylan. Like I need to just cross that, right? So so there's sort of like, there's like stations in your life that he's he's able to prepare you for. And there's like a Dylan for every phase of your life. And I was thinking about this in the context of this record because in some ways, what the struggle I think people have when they're saying this sounds like Dylan is that this sounds like this does not sound like music that a young person should be making today. And it sounds almost like at times like, yeah, like, like the impression you're left with is like, Oh, they're trying on an outfit from a different, from a different period. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's the case here. I understand where that, where the, where that impulse and where that, where that criticism comes from. And so I think the question is like, ultimately, like what is the context for this in someone's greater body of work? I think this is a, this is a really just lovely listen and i plan to uh spin it like several times this weekend probably in between newport newport folk festival sets um that's right that's right but uh yeah and yeah, yeah. newport would be a great home for him yeah I th- i'm not sure if he's played it but yeah i mean it, it, it is the type of stuff that when we talk about new folk coming up uh it's interesting idea about the sort of wearing wearing the skin because i mean that's david rollins whole thing yeah and Jillian Welch, like yeah. they, and they, God damn, they do it well. They just put out a covers album that's just like well, so good. <laughs> it's, it's it's effortless. So it's good. so good. Yeah, yeah. And that's also an example. I mean, Rawlings is somebody who can revolutionize guitar music while playing the most traditional form of guitar music. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. look at that! Well, you yeah. just did that, huh? Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, we'll get to talk about them a little more uh, later on in the year. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, like I said, this is just something you put on, and you can enjoy the shit out of it. I mean, I there's that's yeah. about. Some lines, some lines, some lines will hit you. Um, You know, it'll, it'll like, you don't have to, um, it's not an effort. um, And it's, it's actually something you're going to welcome. Like, it's a really, it's a really like wholesome meal. There, there's, yeah, speaking of some lines, uh, there's this line in the song Deja Vu, which is the single, um, or one of the singles, it says, the sky is crowded with a million lights just trying to get through the darkness. And look, that line has been written a million times. Sky is crowded with a million lights just trying to get through the darkness and find a way through. So guess I'll let find a star that I can put your name on and try. when he delivers it and follows it up with like shine a little light on me I don't need, need much just enough to see yeah I feel that man yeah 
<laughs> like that hits me in the feels. So uh, good on good on Ryan because um, you know four albums in and uh, man, he just he's killing it. But what do you have to bring to the table today, Sedwardo? I am on some um, Ego LMA. Um, who um, I think we should maybe just kind of rebrand some of our some of the work we do as like the London Connection because we are we are <laughs> that we would are make definitely us very happy. Yeah, we are definitely mining um, all of the amazing sort of like you know jazz, neo R and B, and soul coming out of London and and uh, Ego's new album um, Honey for Wounds is 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 nestled comfortably in that in that scene. Um, a lot of a lot of the folks that we've talked about um, over the last few months and and years um, are have you know they have ties to her. Um, this is a this is a this is a really thoughtful soul album um, that is uh, is smart and funny and um, really really like intimate. Not in a not in a body kind of boudoir kind of way, but in a like it feels you know the cliche of like it feels like you're in dialogue with your artist. And this literally there are moments where it does feel like she's sort of breaking from the song and speaking directly to you. So um, why don't we go to um, Girls Don't Always Sing About Boys, uh, which, yeah. Girls don't always sing about boys. What if I want to talk about something? Give me up your simplistic Anybody listen at all If I don't parade in a brawl Only to get my point across I don't always think about boys But I hear love is the only thing worth fighting for As well as loving the same sex Sanitary kids for homelessness Grandfather, mental health for all In such a chill, relatively chill album, uh, that song is just smashing the fucking patriarchy by calling it out, like what's expected of women, and uh, and uh, how uh, I I mean you couldn't. It's just like, oh, you think this is all we think about? <laughs> that's, 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 that's what the yeah. title means. It, you know, I found it funny when I found out she was with the London scene. Uh, she is like one degree from Shabaka West. You'll be happy mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> But she describes her music as music to heal to, and um, the album is basically about uh, self-help and protest and loss, which is remarkably similar to Alabaster de Plume. Hmm. And 
and I and I wonder if uh, what's the name of the space over there? Um, total refreshment. Total refreshment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I wonder That's if an interesting if, question. I know that she's involved. I mean, one of the things that got me really intrigued um, when Ed first mentioned this one, and I hadn't heard her name, was seeing um, Alpha Mist's name um, with some of the production. And um, I've enjoyed some of the stuff that he's done. And I believe that he does have some ties to Total Refreshment. I'm not positive about that, but but yeah, I, I wonder. Yeah, because hmm. because it it it's definitely different than any of that scene. Yes, uh, and and it's different. Like it it is. You know, I know it's Neo Soul or whatnot. It it doesn't to me sound like as rich as I necessarily wanted to as lush. Sort of hate using the word lush, but it doesn't yeah. sound as lush. But I understand that that's that's also not what the kids are into these days. <laughs> Sometimes it's a, it's a little chilly. Well, yeah, this is this this has some 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 crunchy uh, characteristics. Um, also, it's a very kind of earthy record. It's 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 a record that if you really don't kind of boost it up and and and. Uh, do either a headphone session or just you know blow out your subwoofer. It it doesn't sound like there's that much tonal variation in it until you give it a really close listen. It's it's just really low. It's sort of like you know a D'Angelo record or something like that where you just sort of don't realize all the sort of textures and things happening until you really um, dive into it. Um, the other kind of interesting thing is that in the era of sort of like acrobatic singing and you know there are so many performers out there who are sort of so into just blowing you know and just sort of you know all the octaves uh and and this is a really restrained uh record which which sort of causes you to lean in as a listener right it makes you want to sort of peek in and, and get a better understanding of what's happening because it's not assaulting you well you know she's I, doing the thing yeah you know just like ryan gustafson like she's just like i'm just gonna do the thing man yeah one of the things that I was really enjoying about listening to this um, is that kind of laid back feel to it. You know, it's, it's a very pleasant background listen, without a doubt, um, and, and definitely rewards a more careful listen, both of the production, um, you know, as you were just saying, but also with the, um, you know, smart and funny lyrics, um, you know, stuff like that. But um, one of the things that I was thinking about is that a lot of the soul r&b um you know that type of music um when i'm going for it it's it's largely the classic stuff um and a lot of that is very upbeat very um you know i mean that, that was an era where um where people are you know very dance focused um and you know if you're going to come to the performance you want you know exuberance um and all of that and and i really like that stuff obviously or i wouldn't you know, keep going back to it but i also really really like and value and have been kind of craving soul or r&b that's more on a mellow side lately so so the timing for me to be hearing this record is really good um and i just think that's a really interesting thing because you can tell at moments of this that she was capable of of bringing a lot more fire than she's bringing to um her vocal performance um and she's showing really kind of you know remarkable restraint in keeping it um you know pretty low-key the way the way the jazz notes work into this are are incredibly restrained and i, and I think that's you know, if you talk about old R&B and soul and stuff, eventually you get to Sade. And, you know, and this merger of of jazz and R&B and soul and, and pop and just very, very subdued and not really – not going for like the Adele note, let's say. Uh, just like keeping it, keeping it really smooth. And I wonder too, like um, sort of back to what you were saying, Eduardo, like how this relates to say the Moses Sumney verse. You know, this is the he, he really had 
and still does takes issue with people trying to classify his music. But if if I'm gonna say I modern like in podcast air quotes like soul, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna give them this and gray. Even though there's a lot that just isn't isn't there's there's rock on gray. There's like TV on the radio on gray, but but there's also it's it's a it's a, about a vibe, I think. Yeah, that's a really I think that's a really intriguing comparison, um, and it's also because I think both artists. Um, both artists have shown a lot of confidence by, by essentially doing the addition by subtraction, right? I mean, um, it's so easy to make recordings cluttered these days. Um, and in fact, um, you know, there's, there's like, there's sort of never ending, um, opportunities for bright, shiny, loud, uh, sort of K-pop influenced things, which there's a place and a, and a time for that, um, with 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 this record, I've really I've really just um, found it to be such a. Uh, it feels like me time when I put it on in a sort of like you know what I'm just gonna like I just need to, to keep the world at bay a little bit. I need to kind of focus on me. I'm gonna go for a walk, and um, and feel like I'm talking to a friend while I listen to this album. And it has, yeah. I was just going to say that really goes to your comment about it being a conversational kind of, you feel like you're interacting with this person. So it's me time, but you're also like, <laughs> yeah, to know this new friend, you know? Yeah. And you sort of smile and it kind of catches you off guard at points. And, and some chorus, some choruses really, you know, they're not, they're not like, they're not overdone, but they, they are, they are bigger than the rest of the song. And so it's the, you know, the, 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 the songs are, are thoughtfully structured and you can tell that they've had time to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bubble bath acceptable instead of a walk. I mean, is that, is that where the, is that where this fits in? Whatever your me time is, Kevin, just put it on me. Like, <laughs> oh, that, actually, nice. that, that sounds really good, except for how like hot and humid it's been. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's, exactly. Otherwise I'm really, can we do like an ice bubble bath? Cause that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, idea. and, and you know, a lot of modern music too, back to the mood thing. It's, it's really hard to talk about. It is what a lot of people like crave. And when they can't really classify something, that's what they say. It's about a mood, and some of it is not successful. I'm not going to name names, but some of it is just not successful. The mood is, this sucks. But this is <laughs> this is uh, really, uh, you spend some time in it, much like the Dead Tongues album, and you can just create space, mm-hmm. which is super necessary right now. Yeah. Well, those are the albums that are working best for me. Not not hit you over the head. I don't, I don't need any like anthems or anything. I need something that like gets gets the fuck out of the way and just like put them on. I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah, there's you know I keep um, like anything that is that is well done today and that evinces um, thoughtfulness and craft, regardless of whether it's your preferred genre regardless of whether it's an artist you like or not, like that gets you away. That is in and of itself therapeutic is to dive into something, into like high quality work. Right. Um, and, and I think what's, it's, it's interesting for me to see artists kind of navigating this time frame and trying to figure out, okay, am I, am I putting out content to help people pass the time or am I putting out something that, uh, that has heft to it? And, um, and I think that's probably where we are with these two records. I think that's what they have in common. There's, there's a good, you know, there's, there's, there's oomph behind them, even when they are subdued and relaxed. Yeah. Did, did we answer the question last week? Uh, and maybe we don't even need to of, of 
whether an artist should be like should they be focused on like how is this helping out people? I I know that's what we dinged Lori McKenna for because it, you know it, it it didn't feel right given the times. But I mean, should artists is that the path to success now? Is that what we're going to remember out of all this? You know, my immediate thought, um, and and then I'm going to get out of Wes's way because I'm sure he's going to say something much more intelligent and thoughtful. I was listening to that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say her name right. The Sa- Sawayama record, um, which a lot of people are, are sort of picking as like a kind of a pop dark horse. Um, it's it's pretty out there. It's pretty you know it's it's a heavily adorned record. Um, I th- I feel like there's like three or four songs on it about hanging out in Tokyo, and I think one of them is even called like another song about Tokyo. So you know it's a it's an it's a I enjoy the listen, but. But when you get to a point, and this is this is the comp to Lori McKenna, you know, when it's like the third or fourth song about uh, mothers and children and family and the house and, you know, those like, that's when it starts to feel like it's not so much that you're not helping people. It's that there's not enough here. This 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 is a thin concept and you're sort of going back to the same ideas and you really should have figured out how to hit that idea in a way that left you satisfied and didn't require you to keep going back to it. And I think that's, that's maybe the issue. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily put social responsibility on artists, um, a priori, but, but I think the question is like, is the concept good? Is there enough heft to it? And was it well executed? And I think, I think maybe that's where Lori fell down. Well, I don't, it, it, this is a tough one because I very, very firmly believe that it is not an artist's responsibility to have to. That said, <laughs> I kind of think you, you kind of need to. You know, so, so I, I'm feeling really conflicted on exactly this yeah. question right now. And I think a lot of it for me is where it's coming from of like, did you just make a really good record or did you just make a really important record? Um, and coming back to the issue of like, you know, why, why do you do this show, Kevin? Why do we bother to come in and, and try to really think about these records? Why aren't we just coming in and saying, oh, dude, like track seven has a sick bass line, you know, like what <laughs> makes drugs forever, man, right, right? you know, like what makes these things more important? And to me, that's usually something in whether it's the concept or the lyrics or the delivery, um, you know, to, to, stick for a moment on the um on the song that we were just listening to and that I can't remember the exact title to but the um you know girls don't have to sing about boys um it's interesting because that's a love song and she even directly says in it like so I, I, there's some so there's a line and and maybe you have this directly Ed, but, but there's a line about like you know there's nothing more important than love or something like that mm-hmm. in there like you can hear that in a ton of songs that don't matter that might be a nice love song but what she's managing to do within that song like th- th- there's a line that, that that jumped out to me a little bit um and i forget what was right before it but she was basically saying you know i'm not gonna do you you want me to sing about boys like it's something about how it's gonna it's gonna sell or whatever you know um but i've been reading about air pollution in sustainable fashion yeah and it's just <laughs> like sustainable <that's> fashion <laughs> did it for me did yeah. it for me exactly yeah. like that was awesome you know and, and admittedly like you know i'm somebody who both loves fashion and you know cares a lot about sustainability you know so so that would happen to hit me um in that way but um but one of the things that i think is super cool that's going on right now is and maybe this is the influence of you know this generation of um kids who have grown up um with rap being such an important 
part of their lives. So they're focusing on words a lot. And I say this as somebody who doesn't generally focus on words in music. You know, obviously, if, if I'm putting on Towns, if I'm putting on Laura McKenna, even like I'm going to listen to what she's saying. Um, but that's not what I necessarily go for first. But there's some really just astoundingly adept social commentary happening from the younger generation these days. I often get a little burned out or bored with the production on some of these albums after a listen or two. Um, I, I might feel like it sounds super cool in the first listen, but then I feel like there's nothing really, there's no substance underneath it to hold on to. And so that is, I think, where you get in. Like, you know, the, the Moses Sumney, there was some amazing stuff about gender and gender roles and, and stuff like that, that, you know, just made me, I mean, like, like, like weeping tears of joy, basically listening to that, just thinking like, I didn't have that when I was younger, you know? Um, and how would my life have been different if there was somebody who wasn't just, you know, David Bowie with this kind of vague androgyny, you know, um, or, you know, looking for kind of any band that like the members were painting their nails or wearing eyeliner. Like that was huge for me when I was younger, you know, and I didn't have lyrics like what he's saying on that record, you know? And so that's just, I mean, shout out to, to this new generation being able to nail this stuff so nicely. Well, and, and back to what we were talking about at the beginning, uh, the, the subversive history of music, like one of the points in this book is that, uh, basically, songs originate from women, from femininity, and that men stole that. Men crushed that because it was threatening. And now, what you have is, like you said, you have a younger generation who does not is not here for that. Mm-hmm. And and no matter how you identify, like they're like, no, no, this is where this is where the power is. We need our songs. That we're talking about two black artists is like sort of drives the point home even more. Uh, because uh, white folks sure did steal rhythm to control people. Uh, also, it's a very good, ch- a great chapter on Christianity in that book that I was like, <laughs> I was like high five in the universe. It's like, yeah, but uh, but yeah, and 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 so people like her and people like Moses Sumney are really uh, here to make a change. I think, and it's it's like it's starting to get mind blowing. Because there's yeah. certainly like a shit ton of great work coming out that like this this slid under the radar. If you hadn't brought it up, Eduardo, I would have missed it. Yeah, same. And of course, yeah. I look in my inbox and there's like a hundred emails about her. I'm like, ah. you know, yeah. But, uh, but you know, uh, speaking now of of mind blowing, you know, we said that we only talked about jazz and country, so we got to bring <laughs> it back to that. <laughs> And uh, and I believe that would be uh, teeing you up, Wes, uh, for what you're bringing to the party today. It's not a country record. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Congratulations or sorry, listeners. It's uh, <laughs> back on jazz. Um, yeah. So um, Emmanuel Wilkins, um, we're, um, we've been hitting the Blue, Ni- uh, Blue Note train pretty heavy um, lately. And honestly, that is because the Blue Note train is like, <laughs> get on board right now. You know, it's um, yeah. it's been really, we were sort of t- you know, talking about this a little bit um, when we, you know, the three of us did the, the big jazz fest. Um show a couple episodes ago um and two of those albums were blue note um and so i actually want to start in talking about this a little bit by giving a little bit of a a kickback you know if um if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the episode where we talked about um ambrose akimisiri and those two records were both on blue note um and it's really interesting because there is no overlap um, in the players on Emmanuel Olkin's album and the Ambrose Akinmasiri. Um, and yet it's really funny because this is totally in the same circle. Um, 
So on this album, um, you know, band leader Emmanuel Wilkins is alto sax. Um, we have Daryl Johns um, on bass, uh, super young. Uh, well, I guess not. He's like 25, you know, but but really, really young um, player. Um, Micah Thomas on keys and uh, Kweku Sundry on, um, on drums. Um, and so it's really interesting because, as I said, there's no overlap with the Ambrose Akinmasiri, but the bass player on the Ambrose Akinmasiri, Harish Raghavan, um, his last album called to action um came out last year um was him on bass micah thomas on keys um emmanuel wilkins on alto sax and quaker sundry on drums so it's a very similar um band to the harish raghavan album which is killer um you know and, and highly recommend um if you haven't checked that one out to go give that a listen um and then, you know, when you kind of follow this along, uh, two other people playing on that were um, Joel Ross, who's a uh, vibraphone player, um, put out his first album on Blue Note uh, called Kingmaker last year that um, Manny Wilkins was playing on. Um, and uh, Joel Ross has also been involved with Micaiah McRaven, you know, and so it's just it's. It, we talked about this a little last time. I just love following the threads of these players and kind of, you know, <laughs> tracking along because everybody is playing with everybody. You know, there's ties in here with um, people who have played with West Coast Get Down. There's ties um, with people who are playing um, on international anthem stuff. You know, it's just it, it's amazing how strong and deep this scene is these days. Can we uh, real quick talk about Blue Note? Because I actually just uh, watched the Blue Note documentary, Blue Note Beyond the Notes, um, that fe- – uh, like featured all these players that you've mentioned uh, as the house band. Uh, um, Marcus Strickland mm. is is up in there. Robert Glasper, uh, Kim Musari is in there, and it's a, it's a remarkable uh, film for just giving you the context of what Blue Note is and sort of why we're talking about it now, and and why in many ways they're so successful right now in getting us to talk about it because back in the day, the two guys who started it. They didn't give a fuck about hits. They didn't give. They, they didn't care. They just like just make music, get in there, and you got all these like great works of like the fifties and sixties. Uh, to paraphrase, it got sold. Uh, they fucked it up. It went away for a while. It came back, and then it still wasn't even doing that great. Nora Jones then like sort of really it took off when she released something on it. Something happened in the past. Uh, I'm going to say like five years that they are on a tear and they are back to what the original mission was. I have so many blue note records in my inbox and all of them are great and all of them are different. And a lot of it is because, uh, you know, this guy made this album is, is a very explicit point. He wanted to convey like the pain that black people have endured in this country for centuries. And we talked about jazz as being the language of oppression and pain and, and like, when was that possible on a label to be doing like all kinds of this shit? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's really fascinating with that is, is, I mean, to me, one of the things that I most love about studying the history of jazz is that, you know, what you're saying about being the voice of people against oppression that is largely because this was the only voice that people had for a period of time. They literally could not speak their minds in society. But they could play, um, you know, so that gives a voice um, to people. You know, I'm talking about the early days of jazz here, um, not the <laughs> early days of Blue Note. But, um, you know, to, to say what you have to say to tell us who you are. We had some of that conversation in the last episode um, through your instrument 
is what the history of this music is. Um, you were bringing your background, you're bringing your, your cultural history, you're bringing your personal history, you're bringing what happened to you 10 years ago and what happened to you this morning as you're walking into the studio with you, you know, and, and you're using all of that um, to explain who you are and, you know, to, to comment on the world. Um, and yeah, that is something. Um, I actually have not seen the Blue Note documentary yet. I know um, I really need to, to, to see that. But um, I, the only thing that I would counter a little bit um, with what you just said is, is um, yes, like the last you know five years, something like that, they've really been, um, been kicking it in. Um, but I would push that back just a little bit and largely um, because of Jason Moran, who is producing on this album. Um, and he's, um, you know, one of the uh, key figures of kind of the Blue Note revival, um, you know, from I think he got started very late 90s, if I'm remembering right. Um, and um, but he's um, he's a really fascinating. He's an incredible piano player um, and a, a deep thinking artist. Um, he does a lot of uh, visual art ties um, in with his performances and things like that. Um, so um, looking into Jason Moran's career is, is a really fascinating thing. Um, and so, yeah, he's sitting behind the boards, you know, um, producing on this record um, that that just, again, shows kind of in a way his kind of like he was the younger generation not long ago. He was the hot new star along with Ga Glasper and, and these other players, you know, Marcus Strickland, as you said, and, um, you know, Joshua Redman, a lot of these other players who were coming in at that time. And a lot of them were some of the first ones to be bringing in hip hop elements and influences, you know, and that's what we've got now that just kind of has taken over in a lot of really, really exciting ways. And this one's a little more traditional. I want to play a song right now, Edward, and then and, and you look like you want something to say, but I want people to know what we're talking about here. Uh, and, and this album, uh, I think, Wes, you would agree, it has two modes. And one of them is very loose, uh, one of them mm -hmm. is very playful, and one of them uh, is very, very serious. We're going to start with the loose and playful one real quick. Uh, this is a track called Warriors. I think a great, great example of, of one of the modes for this record. This is this is like just um, through and through, just such a well executed uh, session. Like I think I think we can use that word to describe 
to describe this. Um, I was I was not familiar with a, with a lot of these guys. I'd, I'd listened to the Micah Thomas record that I think came out this year, perhaps. Um, he has like a trio. Yeah. 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 Um, so he was the only one that I really that I really knew out of this bunch. Um, but I, I found myself really drawn to Wilkins's tone. Um, I really I really sort of enjoyed the band's interplay here. It sort of it takes me a little bit back to some of the Young Lions kind of stuff. Um, uh, except somehow not as annoying. Um, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but and, it was great and, that you didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whew, crisis averted. I almost almost said something I couldn't take back. Um, and, and you know, I, I think uh, listening to um, what we were just talking about and this idea of like, of sort of Blue Notes reemergence. And I think really, you know, frankly, it's, it's, it's an important time for jazz. I think, I think, in a lot of ways, um, jazz musicians have kind of always had other jobs. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to read the liner notes and be like, oh, this guy teaches at Rutgers, right? <laughs> or, uh, or oh, he was the, the dean of something at Baylor. Baylor, for some reason, has a massive outsized presence in the jazz world uh, instruction, I think. Um, and I'm thinking about jazz as sort of like diaspora music, too, where you sort of now have um, you know, you have people of um, Southeast Asian descent who are um, incredibly proficient jazz players um, and musicians and who are carrying the music forward. Um, you know, it's it's just become such a, uh, it's it's broken out of its sort of echo chamber and there isn't a sense anymore of like these sort of like purity tests and gatekeepers who are trying to keep the music pure. They're actually trying to let the music live. And I sort of see some parallels to bluegrass with that, with that too. I think these are musicians who are sort of well-equipped to the, the gig economy, no pun intended. Um, but, but who aren't going to live on large record contracts or advances and sort of never have to do something else. These are guys who want to work, who want to play, who, who like their chops and, and who enjoy working with people. And so, um, I think it's, it's, you know, Blue Note is really well positioned to be able to capitalize on that. And I like their strategy. The part of me that wants to own everything on vinyl uh, is frustrated. The part of me that worries about my checking account is happy that they're not releasing all of these things on vinyl because there would be like a package from Blue Note every week probably coming to my house. Yeah. Well, and like to your point about the sessions thing, that's what it is. It's like these sessions that they're like letting people in on. Yeah. Like these have, these have a very specific energy that feels new and it feels alive and it feels... It's something that not a whole lot of records can get, but certainly right now is stuff that I respond to. You know, I, I don't get into a lot of like hard criticism of jazz playing whatsoever. Like our friend Noah Berman was going to be on, and he was basically like, oh, I know a bunch of those guys, and I don't think I should talk <laughs> because he's very jazz jazz purist. Sorry to rat you out, Noah, but – uh, but like <laughs> when I when I hear it, like when I hear in that song, um, he's just having fun on that sax, and then everybody picks up on it, and they're like, "Yeah, let's go!" And like, and then for what? That's a seven minute track, or a, yeah, seven minute track. You know, you you're just escape into this world where these guys are just like hitting it on every beat and just getting to where they need to go, uh, and that's that's super refreshing. It's not fussy. Uh, it's certainly not simplistic, but it 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 just sort of works as jazz. But I know Wes, like you demand a little more, right? Yes and no. I mean, I'm definitely I, I'm very much in the experience of the album. Um, listen, you know, I've said this before. I, I'm the find the emotions. I'm I'm very much not 
counting the rhythm. I'm very much not trying to pick out how many weird modes you're playing in in the song. You know, that's it, not it's not what I want out of um, music. I, I do like the intellectual side. Um, you know, we're we're having our, our ongoing fight about Ashargamedza, like this record that just blows me away. Um, that I know is not working for you. Um, you know, and it's very conceptual record. Um, this one definitely has elements. So the second track is called Ferguson and American Tradition. Um, you know, if you have been living in this country the last number of years, you get the reference there. Um, the fourth track is called Mary Turner, um, an American Tradition, and that is perhaps less known reference. Um, and I don't think we want to go too deep into that story, but this was a lynching in 1918. Um, and I don't know. I mean, all I really have to say is that reading about lynching is never fun or pleasant and this one stands out as particularly brutal even oh yeah and, um, and i'll go a little into it not not too much uh this is not uh it's not pleasant uh to be sure but this happened and this is why he's writing about it and this is what he's talking about and this is why much like ferguson he he, he at the back of the song there are two on this album he says it's an american tradition uh her husband was accused of murdering a plantation owner and she protested and so they did lynch her, but they lynched her by hanging her over a bridge and setting her on fire. Uh, and she was eight months pregnant. And, uh, uh, dear listener, it gets worse from there. Uh, you should we'll put a link in the show notes, but you, you should look it up and understand the brutality uh, th- that – if you need an example of, of, of the brutality that black people have suffered in this country, like this is this is the example. In fact, it is, it is such – the example that it is what the anti-lynching law that still is not passed. Thank you, Rand Paul. And by thank you, I mean, fuck you, <laughs> uh, you know, is, uh, has still not passed. It's because of this event. So uh, as expected, uh, this is this is a little more uh, intense piece. So I want to play a little bit of it and keep everything I just said in mind. So here's a little bit of Mary Turner and American Tradition. things that's really remarkable i mean as you pointed out kevin like that track there um it gets louder it gets more dissonant um it's it's kind of harsh listening and um but one of the things that this album does really really well um is balance and pacing um none of the sections that are a little harder on the ears are particularly long um so you know that this is not an endurance test um of really like we're gonna blow out your ears you know let's be honest a lot of the most important um you know conceptual albums particularly within the kind of like 
you know, 70s and on, um, you know, free scene, um, or the more avant scene, um, aren't noted for being easy listens. Um, and oftentimes you've got, you know, 35, 40 minutes of pretty intense music. Um, and the, the balance is really nicely done here because you, this one hits you pretty heavy. Um, and then, um, they bring you into grace and mercy, um, which is a much, um, you know, softer, much prettier, um, you know, and, and throughout, whether it's because of the conceptual aspects of the record or just musically pacing wise, um, it's really, really nicely done. And a lot of that obviously is the talent of these players, you know, um, I've been really struck by, um, by you know the the drumming um you know throughout this whole album uh, there's just you know just incredible work um and finding some really amazing kind of micro rhythms and stuff like that and uh being able to go from you know loud to soft to loud to soft you know, in that way is it's just really remarkable yeah this this um there is a there is a cohesiveness to this album i i, I think there's a lot of um I like I like the way you just put that, Wes, which is that there's there's a fair amount of um there's just the right amount of sort of dissonance or of kind of like um sort of intellectually exhausting, um, sort of challenging jazz. And it always kind of resolves into um into into melody or into into something that is recognizable and, and, and that you feel like you can hold on to. Um it was it was interesting to me, you know. I hadn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know about Mary Turner until I was researching this album for the session. Neither did I. Um, the um, the word I did recognize from the from the track listing that jumped out at me is a is a Portuguese word, saudade, um, which you'll some of you might recognize from the title of like a famous uh, uh, João Gilberto song, um, Chega de Saudade. Saudade is like a Brazilian, it's every Brazilian kid is sort of taught this at a fairly early age, which is that we have this word which describes a nostalgia or a longing. And it's it's about, and and you're allowed to feel it for things you've never experienced. And that's, that's like, and literally, I remember being told this at the age of like, I don't know, five or six, like, look, you speak a special language, we have this special word that no one else has. And you're allowed to miss things you haven't felt. You're allowed to feel a longing for things that may not even be real, um, which is kind of a heavy concept for a kid. Um, but I think resonates uh, with a lot of um, the context for this record that we're talking about, because I think the call for justice is also a call to to imagine, right, and to build uh, and to build a path to um, to something that has never existed, which is a version of America uh, that is uh, just and merciful, and uh, and that lives up to the promise of its of its founding document. It, it also hints at this, uh, and maybe it's explicit about this. I don't know at this idea of generational pain that's wrapped up in all of this. That the that the pain that these uh, people's ancestors felt as slave slaves is is actually manifests. Um, over the generations in people uh, in sometimes like physical ways. And, um, you know, it, it's funny, the the pacing and stuff, I know, Wes, you're a lot about this, but those two songs, the American Tradition songs, um, and the way it resolves, Eduardo, what's fascinating to me is that so many artists will do something like this, like take, say, the Clipping album. Uh, they want to destroy you. And they want it's an to exhausting listen. Yeah, 
it's a great listen, but it's yeah, it's it's absolutely exhausting. Wilkins does not seem uh, intent on crushing your heart, just reminding you that other people's hearts were crushed so he could get to this point. And that to me is is what makes it like kind of a triumphant album and a triumphant like piece of jazz more than just like a session. Uh, it, you know, it takes a little digging to get into and figure out like what the album is actually about. But I think it's that you know that there is there's a lot of beauty in the world, but it also is built on the back of a lot of fucking pain, especially for people of color in America. But he also it, it's it is a lot more universal too. But like if you – we all – it's sort of like the Tulsa race riots, right? When everybody was like, oh, that was never taught in school. Like certainly not. Mary Turner was never taught in school. You and I, Eduardo, first heard of it looking up this. And it was it was literally a moment like I have always thought I knew how bad it was. And then there's this. Is there something below this? Probably. <laughs> That's – and – you know that in the context of an album that is supposed to be pop culture, consumed for sale, ten bucks on the uh, Blue Note site. You know that's what music is for, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and it's interesting when. So I, I was um, I spent the last couple of years teaching um, American history uh, at a high school, um, and it was a private high school, so I was allowed to bring you know, my own approach to it. Um, and, and the whole class was looking at American history through music. Um, and <clears throat> so one of the things that I tried to get across was, you know, we have these different terms that people use to kind of describe America or the American ideal or, or whatever it is, you know, and obviously freedom is one of them, you know, <laughs> and, uh, all the, there's just these, these concepts that are kind of you know, tied in with at least a, a theoretical or possibly mythical America. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people who are looking to return to some form of greatness that this country used to be that they think like that just isn't the, the case. Um, this country has done a lot of great things and the people of this country have done a lot of great things. But through every aspect of that and for all those people, there were a lot of really, really bad things going on at the same time. Um, and, and well, and, and unfortunately, the people who are really facing the really bad things are often not the ones who are given the opportunity to be creating great things. Um, nope. But for me, I tried to kind of instill in the students that I was working with um, that what America really has the opportunity to bring to the world is possibility. Um, much more than any of those things that that talk about some mythic past. Um, America has been this idea that something greater is possible in this world. And that's the part of this country that I can love purely um, and wholeheartedly. Um, while I can be teaching the kids about lynching, um, you know, while I'm teaching them about strange fruit, for example, um, I try to say, you know, this, this is, this is who we have been. This is, this is what we have been. Um, but what's the possibility that can come out of this? Um, and I think that that is in some ways what an album like this is kind of talking about is, is, you know, we, th this is the reality, this is the history, but what can we do with that? And can that be turned into something that is potentially really beautiful? We're talking about this on the day that, uh, John Lewis is put to rest. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anybody saw, but, uh, Obama gave a eulogy and, uh, his 
part of it was basically saying like John Lewis is uh, will be known in the future as the founding father of what we want our nation to be mm. of of that possibility. And I thought that was that was like beyond powerful and yeah. and because it is just it's truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't get there without recognizing and talking about what was before. Which is, I think, what this album does a really great job of. Yeah, it's stirring up good trouble. We got your jazz. We got your three albums in there. <laughs> um, like we Chuck. got, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to like connect all these two, all these three albums together. I think we connected the two, but uh, I don't think there's necessarily a three. Once you get to this, uh, Omega is the name of the album. It stands on its own, and uh, and it's fine. Yeah, you should listen to all kinds of music, not just both kinds. When we broke the bed, she felt disrespected and all confused. Said, would I ever do that to you? And in return, I felt like a fool. Now I walk for days with nowhere to rest my head. In my mouth, I got a feeling that it might be dead. There's no smoke as I reach for my pocket in my phone. There's no text, there's no missed calls. In the morning, start. There you go, three great albums from three remarkable artists. Uh, that track you just heard on the back end was uh, actually from Ego Alan May. Uh, not Emmanuel Wilkins. Uh, that track is called In the Morning. Uh, the whole album is great. Check it out. We want to highlight her a little more. That is it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, uh, you can follow us on all the socials and stuff. We're Chunky Glasses because that's, that's sort of our home base. But uh, really what I'd like you to do is you got Bandcamp Friday coming up, so I'd like you to get out there and support artists that way. Uh, and then uh, get out there in your community and support uh, these artists uh, as they're doing like live streams and stuff when, when you watch one of those and a tip jar is available tip them uh, if you can spare like 5, 10, 15 bucks uh, that's how much you would have spent on a concert ticket so you can do that uh, there are some bills in Congress right now that are fighting to save these places but uh, a lot of the work is going to have to be done uh, on the ground in the community and that involves you so uh, get out there and do that and uh, especially if you subscribe to the streaming services and whatnot, you know, there's a big kerfuffle about, uh, and it's been ongoing for years, we've talked about it a lot, about uh, how artists are paid for streaming, Spotify and all that. Uh, so I, I want to offer this to you before we get out of here. Maybe, if, if first of all, if you're not paying for streaming, pay for it now. It's $9.99 a month. Uh, and if you can't or don't think, if you think that's too much, uh, maybe you don't like music. I'll put that out there. But uh, maybe uh, if you are doing that uh, and, and you see something you like, then head on over to Bandcamp or whatever your preferred uh, preferred music retailer is and then purchase it. And you can still stream it, but you know then that you've done the right thing. You've given some money to that artist, and uh, that will help them create more art. And that's it. That's that's the end of our spiel. So, so do that. Be a better person, and uh, we will create a better world together. That is it. We're out of here. Uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Next week, we have Bruce Hornsby. I think uh, we're going to be talking about Madeline uh, Kenny. Her new album, Sucker's Lunch, is kind of fantastic. And then, uh, and then we're heading into the 490s. We're, we're going to do some fun stuff. So stay safe out there. Stay sanitized. Most of all, stay sane. We will talk to you in a few.
Kenobi. <laughs> 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 <laughs>